This is The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. Hello again, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Executive Platforms Blueprint Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Mix. I'm head of content and research. Uh, my guest today is Renee Buck. He is a CEO and founder of ECI Global. And we're going to talk about supply chain disruption. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on in the world right now. We're at a manufacturing show, but I think this actually touches on a whole bunch of events that we work on. Renee, thank you so much for joining me today. Okay. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. I want to get right into it because I feel we've always talked about supply chain disruption. Something is always happening, and yet it feels in the last year or two, these problems are, are just piling up, and it's a very interesting time to work in supply chain. Can you speak to some of the current disruptions, some of the trends that you're seeing? Sure. I think if you look to why companies are looking into their supply chain or want to review it, you have internal drivers, companies grow, you have new products, uh, new production technologies, but you have also more external um, uh, drivers why you would review your uh, uh, supply chain strategy. And basically what we see is that in the last, I would say, six, seven years, that process accelerates. Uh, think about the first uh, tariffs between uh, uh, China and the U.S. Think about that ship in the middle of the Suez Canal for a couple of weeks. Think about uh, all the container ships on, uh, outside the port of L.A., Long Beach. Uh, think about COVID, obviously, how that has this... So basically what we see is, and that's in contradiction with 10 years ago, these disruptions are not incidents anymore. These are a constant, and that means also that companies have to take a look at that. Now, why is it for companies important? It's external, so you, you are not on the steering. You cannot push buttons and say, well, uh, I, I don't like hyperinflation in a certain country. You just have to deal with that. I don't like rising energy prices. You just have to deal with that. You have to deal with lockdowns in China because then your components come later on. So a lot of companies feel that they are not steering it anymore. Uh, a lot of companies uh, find that also difficult because they can have not a direct grip on these kind of circumstances. And the answer for many companies is looking into, hey, what are now scenarios to de-risk our supply chain? How can we make our supply chain more robust, more resilient? And that is happening uh, these days in a lot of boardrooms of companies in corporate America and abroad, where companies are looking into what is now the best way, where we set up our manufacturing plants, where do we set up our distribution centers to be more robust and less dependent, less vulnerable, as all these disruptions are showing us every day. So when they're having these conversations about their, their global footprint, rethinking their distribution networks. What are some of the key things that are part of that conversation? How are they staying informed as they, as they make their decisions? I would say that there is a basic debate on global versus regional. So a lot of companies have set up in the first 10, 15 years of this century, set up large manufacturing plants in China or in Asia, super plants providing the whole world with cost-effective produced products. Now we see more the trend into region for region. So let's set up a plan in the US or in Mexico for North America. Let's set up a plan in Europe for the EMEA market, one in China for China, and one in Southeast Asia for Southeast Asia. And companies are looking into that. And sometimes it's more, uh, it's, it's more expensive. But on the other hand, you can keep on uh, the customers, you can offering your customers more reliability in the deliveries. So a lot of the discussions are now with companies, what is the ideal manufacturing setup for us? They look obviously into cost. You look also into what does it mean for your customer in terms of flexibility, scalability, time to market. 
and you look into conditions. What is the risk profile of doing it that way? And so the various scenarios, if you say I have to produce 200x of our product, and how do you put them on the various regions in the world? And do you consolidate in one or two or with eight using new manufacturing technologies? That's a, a debate in many boardrooms these days. And I have to think there is an existing system that is currently operating, even as they're making long-term decisions about, you know, we'll shut down here and open up there, but you can't shut everything down for five years while you do that. It has to be an ongoing process, which is capital intensive and time intensive sure. and resource intensive. What is, how do they strike that balance? How do they incorporate change into their ongoing operations? I would say the, the, the easiest path is to build up more inventory, right? If you, if you would have, if you want to cover the US market and you have inventory only for 15 days, make it 35 days and you are less vulnerable. It's costing money, but it's a relatively easy decision to take and to implement. Obviously, if you really talk about relocating production capacity from various parts to the world, if you look into setting up new manufacturing plants with CAPEX investments you have to make, so you have to make uh, good calculations to see whether it really pays off for a company to do it that way. But it's necessary because uh, the companies see that it's not good enough. Uh, like in the beginning of COVID, we thought, okay, business continuity plans will help us. But if you look to all the elements, you know, uh, think about in, in Europe, we have the war in Ukraine, all these distortions, all these disruptions in the value chain, you supply chain leaders, can count on the fact that there will be more in the future. And so do you want to anticipate those or are you just waiting and like the fire brigade, every time if there is a fire, you start on trying to get the fire away. And I think that's what the supply chain leaders have to face now. How can I anticipate these disruptions? What is the best model for us in the next five, 10 years to provide our clients with your products and our services? So in this world where you know, thinking through the risk is a big part of it, they're willing to spend a little bit of extra money as long as they can maintain what they're doing in turbulent times without knowing what the turbulence is going to be all the time. Where does BCI Global fit? How are you helping them making these decisions and be aware of their options? Now, first of all, uh, BCI Global, as the name says, we work with teams and offices in Europe, in Shanghai, in Singapore, in Atlanta, in California, so can really cover the whole world. And what we help companies with is with scenarios. So looking into, hey, we just keep on doing like what we are doing, status quo scenarios, or we consolidate, we set up new locations. So with our software, we can really help companies in evaluating and assessing 10, 20, 30 different types of scenarios. Oh, what does it mean for our total landed cost per product? What does it mean for our customers? What does it mean for our risk profile? So supporting companies in these difficult processes, bringing uh, independent information on objective information on the table, I think that's a great value. And, and that's also why our company during the COVID-19 period has grown with 35%. In terms of groups that aren't already working with you, what does that relationship actually look like? If, if they want to build some scenarios and, and, and maybe war game their options, how do they get in touch? How do they share information? What is their working relationship with you? Well, we, we, we work already for a lot of companies on various other types of assignments, and this is one of those, or we have new clients coming to us. We try to really, we do a lot of work in the beginning, even before we have an assignment to scope the project. So what is really necessary, uh, what is logical to take a look at and not doing an endless process, because companies are also looking to deliverables they can implement. It's not like 
uh, it's not a PhD. It's a realistic analysis of scenarios they, uh, they can take a close look at. Uh, we scope it in such a way that it's easy to uh, follow for everyone. Then it's a kind of proven step-by-step -step process where we go into workshops and develop the, together with the client various scenarios. Then look into how can we evaluate and assess those scenarios and find out the, uh, the, the optimal footprint. For many companies, it is obviously uh, enjoyable to work with us. Um, but I think also that we can prove that the results are really there, which helps them to implement the best optimal solutions for that. Yeah, I think I've got this in the broad strokes, and it sounds like a really fantastic idea and a, a wonderful resource for companies to have. Would it be possible for you to give us a, a specific example, a, a case study? You don't need to name names, but walk us through what this looks like in real terms. Now, suppose you have a company who has uh, four product lines in China, a company producing uh, PCB, uh, printed circuit boards. Now the question is, um, if I relocate two of those production lines to Southeast Asia, to Europe, to Poland, or to the US, to Texas or Illinois, what would be the impact of that move, those three different potential moves to Southeast Asia, say Vietnam, or to Poland, or to Texas, what would be the impact uh, for that company? How would it impact the customers? And these are real life choices because the plant in Shenzhen is producing for the global market. So you have then, you could say, I just stay in Southeast, uh, I stay in Southeast Asia because I still serve the whole world against lower cost and less vulnerable because I'm not part of the uh, trade tariff war between the US and China. On the other hand, you could say, well, if I produce in the US or in Europe, I can serve my customers um, uh, nearby. Proximity to customers is important because the chances of supply chain disruptions are smaller in that respect. And so by helping companies to evaluate those kind of scenarios, they came up with a solution, which I cannot tell you, but which is obviously the best one they could pick. So uh, expanding upon that example, and uh, we've been following semiconductor development in the US for a different project. Uh, there's been a lot of investment, there are new capabilities. So your model is actually remaining current as these projects come online, you understand there's new capacity, a workforce is being trained that will be able to take on that kind of work. Like it's a living document, it's a living organism, your simulations. Yes, certainly Jeff, because what you really have to do is, it's not good enough to make the photo of today not on the labor market, not on the supply ecosystems, you really have to look what will it be in the next five to 10 years. And that's important certainly also because in various parts of the world, we talk about labor market shortages, uh, not enough people in the, on the manufacturing work floor, not enough engineers to do R&D work. So labor market analytics is an important element these days in developing and assessing those scenarios. And again, I, I think this all sounds amazing. And I'm sure people who have been listening to the podcast are saying, you know, I have business challenges that we would love to be able to play out in simulation and, and see what happens. How would they start working with you? What does that look like? Well, I think um, um, I encourage everybody to reach out to our teams in, uh, in the US or in uh, China or in Singapore or in Europe. And then we start not by signing a contract. We start by scoping, by discussing, by understanding where they are coming from by understanding what are the specific challenges the company is looking for. Then we make a proposal to scope the project, tailor-made, and then a step-by-step -step process follows, where in the beginning the company has to inform us about the specifics of their company and the specifics of their industry where they're in. And then we work later on more and more on our side of the business to really look into what, how can we assess the various options. 
so basically it starts with conversation. Uh, we want to understand the client very well before we start even writing a proposal. Now, obviously, this involves sharing a lot of proprietary information, confidential information. Uh, you are being a trusted partner here. I understand you have data protection in mind, but you know, could you speak to that for, for listeners who want to know more? Yeah, so it, it starts all with a, uh, uh, a well-structured NDA. Sometimes we follow that for the clients, sometimes our, ourselves, so that there is a non-disclosure agreement in place. Then we make a separate environment to share information on, with that client, uh, because the client has proprietary information, but we as a consultant also. So we make sure that there is a secure IT protected environment to exchange information, to uh, share data files, so that we uh, that everybody feels comfortable in doing that, and um, we had never problems with that in the last thirty seven years. You know, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here, and a lot of it is really interesting. Are there two or three things that you want listeners to to really think about further after this episode? Yeah, a couple of things I would say. One is, don't think that the supply chain disruptions are just incidents. Acknowledge that there is a constant and that you have address and to anticipate of those. Second is think about scenarios. Scenario approaches are a great way to get a better understanding of the growth of your company, the risks involved, how the impact is on the customers. So I would say supply chain disruptions are, um, are, are they are not fading away. So you have to um, uh, cope with them and the scenario approach we follow, which is a, a clean and objective way of comparing various solutions for your companies, that's a great way to proceed. For people who want to learn more, have a conversation, get in touch with some of those people you're talking about, what is the best way to engage with BCI and start a conversation? Well, we, uh, our offices all over the world are uh, ready to talk with everybody. And, uh, uh, interested uh, persons can go to our website, www bciglobal.com. You will find their addresses of our regional directors all over the world, and they will be your fantastic first point of contact. Well, I've visited that website, and I do think there's a lot of good there. And I also appreciate for a global company, there's a very regional approach. I mean, it almost follows what you're saying, where you don't need to have one building servicing the entire world. Why not take a regional approach and be able to engage with people in their area with local expertise, but still have access to a global network? So everyone, I encourage you, do check out that website. And uh, Renee, I just want to thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you very much, Jeff. It was a great conversation. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint podcast series. Uh, I've been Jeff Mix. Let's do it again soon.